0: Yo! Welcome to another episode of Hold My Purse Podcast, the Girls Guide to Living a Fierce Life. I'm your host, Megs Gelfgat. Episode 10. We got the big fella in for this one. Big Al Many coming to us from Ireland. Big wave surfer, ocean adventurer, author, black belt, stunt double, sometimes looks like a wildling from Game of Thrones, Loved this dude, so stoked to talk to him. He has not only amazing stories and experiences to share, but just the topics of his books, overcoming fear and anxiety. He also wrote a kid's book, Confident Chris, that we're going to talk about. You can catch up with Al on Instagram, Al underscore many, M E N N I E. You can find me, Megs, at hustle and lift, and our skate community, Keeper Wild HQ on Instagram or KeeperWildHQ.com, hashtag KeeperWild, all the Keeper Wilds, basically, is how you can keep up with us. We're going to be giving away a couple copies of Al's book, so stay tuned for how you can win a copy. And we love to hear from you. So definitely connect with us outside of the show. If you like this episode, share it out with a friend. And uh with that, we give you none other than the Irishman himself, Al Many. I found myself a 6'5 Irish sea monster. We're on with Al Many today. (laughs) How are you? This has been one of our more anticipated podcast drop, and people were on that hype train real hard. I got about 60 DMs. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Al. They're rolling in hot. So I can't even imagine what your DMs are like. People are <laughs> stoked to hear from you. <laughs> All right, so a little bit about our boy Al coming to us out of Ireland. <laughs> Al, first and foremost, is a pro surfer. He's been on the European tour. He was part of the pioneer team that went to Nazare, Portugal. This guy has been all over the place as a big wave surfer. So he's a big deal in the surf world. But what's really awesome about Al's resume is that he's also written three books, done a bunch of stunt work and body work. He looks identical to <laughs> Redhead and Wildling from Game of Thrones, which has actually done stunt work for Chris. Uh, but that's originally how we got linked up because I thought it was the same guy. I mean, there's not a bunch of six, five monsters walking around out there. When I found out that Big Al was part of the Pioneer team for the Nazare Big Wave Surfing, I got so excited. And while you may not recognize the name, you've definitely seen videos. Typically, there's a lighthouse in the background being overcome by these ginormous waves. So we got a lot to get through today. Surfing, the books, your crazy life adventures that you had because you had a pretty full roster. So Al... Walk us through what we need to know. Give us the background. Give us the basics. What do you got?
1: Okay, cool. So my name's Al Nene. Um, I live in the very north coast of Ireland, um, up in the North Atlantic. If anybody knows of Belfast, I live within about an hour of Belfast. Um, my whole background really comes from surfing. Uh, I started surfing at the age of nine uh, with my little brother uh, on the beach in Castle Rock. And that has taken me literally all over the world. Uh, I started competing at the age of 14 on the Irish circuit. And then as I got older, I moved into doing some of the world qualifying series in Europe. And then I started to really focus on the UK pro surf tour. Um, I did that for a few years. And then I gradually led into doing bigger and bigger waves. And that's where my real focus became sort of centered. And probably that's where my name with you know that's that's where my name has probably become more affiliated with is big wave surfing than anything um that got i traveled all over the world with that i, I competed in chile oregon i've been to South africa australia portugal and Nazareth i don't know how many times i've been literally been all over the world it's been a really good thing for me um and then as you can tell i look like a, an extremely famous person no we, no listen, no we, we, just,
0: we just refer to you by height and sea monster that's it like we don't even know we're like oh
1: yeah no we know who we're talking about it's Al. yeah <laughs> so so yeah so that that obviously led to eventually um christopher Hibge, who plays uh one of the wildlings in game of thrones his wife spotted me and contacted me through my agent and turned out they were filming a series called twin in norway in which christopher needed a twin stunt double as a surfer. So obviously I got the job for that. <laughs> and uh that's where it happened. And so basically that 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 took me to Norway, which I've always wanted to go to Norway. And uh it's just an amazing place, amazing people. And meeting Chris for the first time uh, there was incredible. And it's funny because even then, seeing the footage of us together, even I couldn't tell the difference. Like it's literally it's incredible how much we look alike it's, it's really funny actually so basically yeah my surfing has taken me from the age of nine to all these amazing you know locations and given me all these gear opportunities um and i've been fortunate enough to be able to take them on and go and travel the world and I, then from that i've gone into other things i think i just like to do sort of extreme things as well and i get into doing um i did karate for a while when i was 10 and then I kind of, that all went to the side. Never, My surfing was getting so sort of important in life. And then later on in life, I started doing a thing called Krav Maga. I'm sure if you've seen any like the Sherlock Holmes movies or Taken, it's full of Krav Maga. And it's it's basically, Krav Maga is a martial, well, it's not actually a martial arts a fighting system from the Israeli army. Um, but it's a combination of jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, judo, a whole lot of things like that. It's very, very realistic. Um, I became a third degree black belt. Um, and I'm a master instructor in Krav Maga, Northern Ireland here, um, and that led me into doing bodyguard work, um, all sorts of cool things again, you know. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that all stemmed from my sort of being in the sea, wanting to chase other things, I don't know. Um, but. led me into Krav Maga as well then I get into writing books I don't know because I was really bad at writing in school and doing English in school but for some reason I find it very easy to write books Um, I sit down and I hammer them out in no time Uh, I find it very easy Um, and then I also build houses sometimes too I've built a lot of houses over the years I've done lots of different things all all tend to be either (laughs) I'm, I'm very black and white. I either I'm totally full on or I'm not interested. Um, so yeah, so that's it. I've, I've got a very diverse range of things, which give me a great lifestyle.
0: So you have this epic career as a pro surfer, and then you parlay that into being an author. You already had an affinity for writing. Three books have come from you. We have the autobiography, yeah. which is Surfing yeah. Many Waves. We have Overcome or Succumb. And then the third, most recent, and is a kid's book called Confident Chris. And it's Overcoming Anxiety with Confidence and Strength. But what I love is Overcome and Succumb, as well as Confident Chris, both deal with similar topics, obviously a different approach. How did you pull that experience, that topic from your time as a surfer? Was this something that you were struggling with? Is, you know, like walk me through how you overcame that how you battled through that
1: the inspiration for the books comes from in particular big wave surfing um and it was pointed out to me by a friend of mine who's a paramedic he sat in the van one day with me we were driving surfing in Donegal and he said to me do you realize that he, so he's a paramedic so he continually is out for calls day in day out heavily to do with mental health and anxiety depression fear all those sort of things and he said, you're actually an expert in dealing with this, you know? And I was like, really? And then I thought about it. And he says, yeah, you, you're anxious for days in advance of these big storms coming. You're worried about yourself. You're worried about your team. You're worried about, you know, the boats, the skis, everything, all these things that could potentially go wrong in what is realistically a life threatening situation at sea in the, the cold North Atlantic. And It, it just light bulbed off my head and I realized, yeah, I, that's right i do know a lot about that subject so then i basically sat down and i i took what i know through my i basically wrote my experience of how i go about surfing these gigantic waves and the fears that are involved in that and i talk about how i break those fears down so i break them down into different categories and i put different things in different categories and then that helps me Get to the point where I'm not going to back down. I'm still going to go out there, no matter how big it is. And um, so yeah, so basically, basically that's that's where the, that's where it came from. It came from being scared in the sea. And I don't know, a lot of people look at us surfing these gigantic waves and they think, "Oh, those guys are nuts, or they're hell men, or whatever." Yeah, we've all potentially got a screw loose, but we're very, very calculated, and that comes from the management of fear, management of anxiety, uh, and, and also the management of stress. Um so big wave surfers are definitely very very good at handling all those things so it makes a lot of sense to transfer those skills that I've learned through the sea into everyday life and I, I personally have used those in, in, in everyday life in confrontational situations and um, business situations personal situations lots of different ways even the dentist I didn't want to go to the dentist for 11 years I, I was terrified of it I literally sat in the chair trembling like a wee boy and um eventually I got over it and I can deal with it. And I believe that all comes from the sea and learning that from being in in, in the environment where I'm not one hundred percent in control. So that's where it all came from. It all came from my experience in the sea.
0: Did when you were younger, before you had this lengthy experience with big wave surfing, um, you know, even in like let's say your teenage years, was that already innately a part of yourself where you would feel the fear and then act anyways, or was that something you kind of trained into?
1: Um, when I was a kid right my brother and I were the only two surfers on our local beach realistically there was a couple of older guys every now and again but just us two so we always surfed together and Andrew always surfed the waves close to the beach close to the beach that's just what he liked to do it wasn't that he was you know in particularly scared wasn't particularly scared or him but he just he liked to surf small waves I liked to paddle way out the back every day whether it was small or big and I would sit away out there and I would just wait until i got this one bigger one that's all i was interested in and maybe i maybe i like the flirt with the fear i don't know what it was but from a young age that's what i did i always pushed myself a little further i don't know i don't know why it was but it's definitely been a trend the whole way through i've always wanted to push a wee bit further um and fear has always been there of course um and probably through the through that repetition i've got very good at handling it and that's why maybe i've taken on a lot of things in life where fear has been involved but it's not really phased me for very long
0: Mm
1: -hmm. i assume
0: we uh al and i talked about this briefly before the show that you know for our community some of the biggest fear anxiety uh, based questions that we get around starting something new whether it's skating or surfing as an adult where front and center in your mind is this idea of I'm going to get hurt or I'm going to be bad at this when you know you're younger you maybe it's be that you don't have the lengthy history of failure or pain or whatever that might be and so you're more inclined to just go for it you know all, all in full tilt and so whether it's a new athletic ability of learning to skate and surf or that new business venture it's the same fear. It's that same fear of, I don't know what's going to be on the other side of this and what it's going to look like. So for, for you, like when you think about the tools and the skill sets that you honed for yourself, when it comes to actually charging that wave, right? Do you have a a process that you run through every time that's just habit now, or is each situation for you a, a different process?
1: Um, because of the because it because of this is this is this is the environment. It's the it's the the environment is nature, it's the sea. Every single wave is different. So every situation is different, every second is different. I think that's why to be a good surfer, it takes a long time. And in particular, most big wave guys have been surfing for a minimum of usually around fifteen years. That's the experience they have. Um and it's always the unknown element, you know, how big is it gonna be? tomorrow? What board should I use? What if it's windier than forecast, you know? What and then right down to the very second you're about to go, what if I go on this and hit that bit of chop? You know, what if my board doesn't work? What you know, mm. all these things are through your mind continually. But it's it's almost like it's a fine adjustment. Non stop fine adjustments. That's what surfing is, you're continually trying to fit into the movement of the wave, overcome the chop, overcome, you know, the speed and the bumps and the turbulence and overcome yourself a lot as well. Um, it's funny, like I talk about this like deathly calm and sometimes I might be sitting in the water and I'm breathing heavily and you know, there's a set coming and I'm you know, I'm breathing heavily I'm, I'm obviously anticipating what's coming. I'm feeling very, very anxious and on edge. And then in this in this split second when everything's right, the it's like you just know you're in the right spot at the right time and you and you're and you're going, it's like Everything just disappears. There's um you can't hear anything, you just total tunnel vision focus. And it's like I only I can only describe it like a deathly kind of calm comes over where um I don't know, you just go, it's very hard to explain. It's just like there's nothing's gonna stop you at that point. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you've worried about it, yeah, you're completely drained. Oh, and you've been anxious and scared and but then there's this like warm war menta- mentality comes over you and you just you're so focused and you go and it doesn't matter what happens almost whether you make that ride or not it's just like this thing comes over you and it, it's also it's the same as a same if I was say paddling out and a big wave so if for anybody that doesn't understand surfing we paddle on our surfboard on our chest and sometimes that means getting caught by a big wave that breaks in front of us, and like we're talking here about waves that are the size of your house, you know, sometimes twice the size of your house, really big things that can hit with a lot of impact, a lot of power, um, and hold us down for a long time. So if I get caught by one of those waves and I've nowhere to go, it's it's an incredible feeling because you become like it's as if. It's as if everything else is out the window. You're just totally focused on this moment in time. You don't hear anything. You're not panicked. You're not scared. All those, all that fear, anxiety and panic just disappears because you have nowhere to go. You are totally trapped in the moment. And you've got to do something. So they all just disappear out the window at that point. The fear, the anxiety, or the worry is usually in advance of the mm-hmm. moment. Um, where you're paddling, like, wondering, is this going to catch me? Am I going to get caught? I'm going to get hit really hard, break my board, get held down. But in the moment when you've nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, it's incredible, deathly calm comes over you. and You just deal with it. It's, it's an unusual feeling. But that—that that is all those moments that I've experienced that are very, very extreme. They're actually completely relatable to ordinary day life. And I was saying to you earlier about um, I used to have this terrible fear of the dentist. I just hated the guy. Not the guy, but I just did not want to go for 11 years and I just couldn't go. I just, one day I thought I have to go through this. I'm going to have to go and sit in that chair and tremble. Just get checked up and it was a terrible experience. I had to get teeth pulled and oh it was like a really bad experience but I got over it and now I'm able to go every single
0: <laughs> no. um, so, so, so was,
1: and he shouted at me and he like he embarrassed me in front of the rest of the waiting room um, but I'm over it now <laughs> I'm
0: over it. that um, that dentist had, that his had his own death. fear he's like this big fellow about to uh, jump out of this chair and grab me by my throat <laughs>
1: Do you know a dentist chair as well? They're awfully short. So my big legs are <laughs> hanging the end arms were off the... Off the like <laughs> the, knocking and
0: over and trays and stuff. And he's standing shouting at me. Oh, geez. Oh,
1: God. Yeah, so... No, so definitely that... There's the, the fear and the anxiety and all those things which I've gone through in order to surf some of the biggest ways in the world. Those things have taught me a lot and I've handled things in life. I'm sure I probably wouldn't have had I not have gone through those experiences. I, I assume there's other things in life too like that. I know surfing in particular is very, uh, in big ways, it's very unpredictable. It's a, it's all it's a, an environment type thing. Um, so there's maybe not something that correlates exactly to it, other than possibly motorcycle racing, road mm-hmm. racing. It's quite similar, I think. Oh yeah, they're going faster and they're on concrete and all that. But it's a, it's similar in that there's there's a wind element, there's the bumps in the road, there's the machine, yeah. you know, and then there's the human element. So that's a similar sport, I would say, in some ways. Sometimes, some ways, it's far worse um, for fear and anxiety, I would imagine. But the surfing, the big way of surfing, I think has taught me a lot of skills. And from what I've heard from people who've read my book, um, Overcome or come that one in particular, it's really been of help to people reading my experience. Mm-hmm. So I don't, in, in that book, I don't really tell you what to do. I tell you my experience and how I've dealt with certain things that have come along. Um, and I encourage other people to think for themselves on their ways of dealing with their fear and anxieties. Because we're all different mm-hmm. at the end of the day. There's no magic pill. There's no magic words, you know. So my experiences in those extreme sea conditions, I think, have somehow helped other people find their way of dealing yeah. with things. Very well, nice. and I'll
0: touch on it briefly, but for those of you who are unfamiliar with the sport of big wave surfing, um, as he said, some of these waves are much bigger than houses, right? Like you take Nazare, for example. Um, but the other thing is yeah. like, if you fall, it's like hitting concrete because you're so high up, you're traveling yeah. so fast. And so there's real consequences. It's not like, oh, you get sucked underwater for a hot second. Like there are real Consequences, and so that's where you know, like when when he's talking about that, like whether it's getting tagged with a wave on your way out. I mean, you haven't even gotten on the wave yet, right? Like you're, you're just trying to get <laughs> in sorry, a position yeah. to even have an opportunity to ride it. Um, and so it's 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 just really amazing what you guys do. Um, have you ever? I mean, clearly with your history, you you have to have some injuries along the way. Have you had anything made you where uh, you're like, uh, maybe I gotta cool it for a minute?
1: no it's funny like i think because we're so calculated it's very rare that something serious happens um i've had far more injuries than small surf days because i'm probably more complacent i'm not in such a heightened state of awareness small days and complacent I get smacked by my board both sides of my head or my nose we've or, all, we've you know, all, all taken things. a
0: board to the face once or twice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah or like ribs broken and things like that but i did fall once I've been held down like loads of times for ages really badly. Um, and I've, I got whiplash, I landed on the reef of my head, oh, things like that, not too bad. But I fell once. Um, if, if anybody looks up big wave surfing in Ireland, they'll come across a place called Mullaghmore Head, And again, I was one of the early guys there. Um, but I fell there on a very big wave in very shallow water. And so basically, the, I, at the last moment, I looked up and the whole thing was just about to come over on top of me. And I was on a tow board. So, if anyone who doesn't understand, that's, that's called tow surfing, where we use a small board and a jet ski with a driver. tows this water ski style into these gigantic waves that are very difficult to catch by paddling. So, sometimes we use that option. And that's what I had done. And I got to the bottom of this, like, 40-footer type thing. Very shallow, over a rocky reef and at the very last minute my best option was to step off my board so i stepped off my board and something hit me thankfully i was wearing a glass fiber helmet i wear a very slimline glass fiber helmet and something hit me on the side of the head here i don't know if it was the reef or was it my board um but it hit me so hard here that the exit for the impact was at the back of my helmet my helmet cracked like that much at the back and um and when i came up i couldn't see properly I uh, couldn't hear hardly at all. A um, blurred vision, couldn't hear probably. Um, and my safety driver, he missed me. He came in to get me and missed me. Uh, this is normal kind of procedure. If, if we fall in the wave, we've got a guy who comes and get. We've got somebody else there in the background. who comes to get us. And it doesn't always go according to plan. You think, oh, safety driver, he'll get him. It Doesn't really work like that. I wore the next big wave on the head. Um, it's another like forty footer wall of white water. Um, before. Uh, it was actually another guy on a ski, um, Davy Lavelle. His name wasn't Duncan Scott. They both came in to get me at once, um, and I was a little bit concussed. I think I was pretty shaken by it, but I immediately got back in the water. I get straight off the rescue sled into the water, and I said, "Let's go." And I must have—I must have had about a thirty-second breather, and I said, like, "We're going again," as I knew it was—it was—it was the end of the winter. It was the last big swell of the winter, well what I reckon would have been the last big swell of the winter. And I knew if I didn't go on another wave, this would have haunted me until the next winter. So I just I made my driver drive me into another big wave and I went in two more waves that day. I didn't go on a I didn't go on a deathly one. I kind of like, played it relatively safe, but I knew I had to get back on that horse immediately. Or I'd spend the next six months probably thinking too much, which I do a lot of by the way. Um <laughs> So yeah, so that that definitely, I overcame that immediately, even in know I mean, that incident immediately. Just pure stubbornness. Al,
0: you're so hyper aware of how your brain responds in these fear charged balls to the wall situations. Yeah. It's very unique. That is not most people. Do you run into challenges, whether it's in relationships or teammates or anything like that, when other people don't? charge into that fear yeah. with the same vigor, the same intensity, intentionality even, that that you do. Most mm. people, when they experience fear, when they take it in, their initial response is they freeze up. It mm-hmm. paralyzes them, which is the opposite reaction for um, you. I think,
1: I think because I'm so aware of the fear and all those elements, I see them very clearly quite often in other people. So I can... I can almost um, I can read another person and how they're how they're feeling emotionally pretty accurately a lot of the time. Um, I don't know if it's just a Scorpio intuition thing or not, but um, I can definitely spot someone who's scared very very quickly, especially in the water, obviously. Um, and there's obviously like I, I, to give a good example. I can see there's a guy I know. Um, and he wanted to get into big wave surfing he had no surfing background at all so he wanted to come out on days with me and obviously i've i've been asked a few times by people to get involved in big wave surfing and i've kind of always tried to talk them out of it gently this guy was so keen and he had a good background i i involved him and i was able to see him in situations which which weren't really like crazy big waves but there were you know some decent sized days and i could see when he was terrified and because i could see it i was able to help him so when he was sitting there frozen up, I could recognize it. I could see it in his body language. I could see it in his behavior, and and then I could get him to shadow me, so I could get him to move around in the water with me. And that was able. I, that was able to mm-hmm. by doing that. He was able to actually catch waves, because I because I was, I was aware of it. Otherwise, he would have sat there and, fro- and just froze the whole time, not done anything. because I've mm-hmm. been in that situation, I've obviously been in the water frozen completely, like almost with a blank mind. It just frozen myself in fear not yeah. not able to catch waves not able to perform in a contest or whatever maybe um so i can yeah. recognize that in other people um so there's yeah it's definitely got a, a much more heightened awareness than i would say a lot of people around me quite often yeah of fear mm-hmm. and emotion yeah but that might be a scorpio so thing
0: when you, <laughs> right so, <clears throat> so since you have like a skill set of, of coaching that up have you had scenarios where, you know, maybe not in the waves specifically, but, you know, you recognize that fear in a friend, let's say, and it, of something that it's holding them back. Like, you just got to face this man. You got to go through it. And they don't. Like, they don't move through it like maybe you would coach them up to. Is that hard for you to, like, sit back and watch? Um, and, I mean, does that... There's,
1: a, there's actually an example of that that's happened recently um, where I gave a guy a lot of time and I trained him. He really, really wanted it, or appeared to really want it. I think he thought he really wanted it. Um, and I don't know what's happened, but he's completely and utterly changed his course. Um, like won't even get off the rocks. Um, you know, lots of things have changed. I don't know I don't know what it is, but something's definitely happened. I don't know if he's had a realization um he had a couple of incidents in the water that probably affected his mindset they would affect my mindset if that happened to me and I've been doing this since I was nine um so I assume they might have had an impact on him but in fairness to him he's stepped back a little bit but I think he's still working on his skills in the background um it's a thing is it's there's there's definitely an element of you remember men in general can be very macho and and ego is a big thing I mean, and lot, not a lot of men will talk about being scared they'll not admit to it they'll you know potentially talk their way out of it and i think in some cases that's the that is what happens with people not this guy in particular but um i think that's what happens men try to avoid talking about it in fact that's been in my instagram for example a lot of people who've bought my book have messaged me privately about being scared and I can tell from the messages that it's not something they would openly really share with somebody else. They obviously can relate to the things I've written about. Um, yeah. So, And this is even more interesting. Um, the Confident Chris book, uh, I would say about 90% of people buying the book are female. Only 10% are male. So again, I don't know if men don't, maybe men don't even relate to the subject or they don't want to relate to the subject they want to talk about it or they maybe don't want to give that book to their son because they feel that maybe that's I don't know unmacho I don't know I don't know but, but it's definitely like they
0: should just know how to be confident Yeah, but that's, a but, but, that, but that's
1: it's definitely something I think being confident and um you know being able to handle fear and all sorts of emotions comes from experience like everything in life it all comes from experience and being able to you know training at that like so many things nowadays people go and get a bit of paper by doing a course and they think they're all of a sudden i'm a photographer i did a course you're not a photographer you haven't you know photographers spend years they're artists at the end of the day um it's the same with lots of Mm -hmm. things now people do a bit of paper and they all of a sudden i'm a qualified whatever you're not really until you get some experience and i think that um is true of emotion and fear and all those things you you become good at handling them through experience
0: Yeah, that's really great. Of this kind of like, (laughs) almost like a false confidence in a lot of ways for some of these people. Of like, I'm, you know, a psychologist now. Like, oh, see,
1: see, (laughs) false confidence. Um, That's that is very true in martial art training. I think a lot of people come to martial art classes, and they do the class, and they think, oh, I'm good. I'm a black belt. You're not good enough. Still, even if you're a black belt, you're probably not experienced in the world of confrontation unless you've been you know doing it for a long time or maybe had experience on the doors or something I don't know um, I'm sure with your background you you know what I'm talking about you have to have experience in confrontational situations to be able to feel genuinely confident um, and I think a lot of martial art training is in such a controlled environment that you have a full sense of security once you've done the class and you're you're hyped up and you maybe been going for a while and you can you become you know because you're dealing with it you're dealing with quite often an opponent who's standing still or not reacting to you know you pushing them and whatever so a lot of I think a lot of martial arts training can sometimes lead to false sense of security, unfortunately.
0: Martial arts all the way over to personal security close body work what was that world like?
1: So that that came about from Krav Maga um in northern ireland we've got a couple of well obviously i don't know for people around the world northern ireland we've we have had a history in this country of a lot of unrest um and that has bred a lot of very highly trained security teams within this country they've you know some are british army some are irish there's all sorts of different elements um so I was trained by a couple of guys who were very well versed in the world of being bodyguards close protection operatives um and they basically took a couple of us from our Crab Maga club trained us up underneath them and that led to a few jobs within that world and um like I only did a, I only did a handful of things I looked after a business owner um who was putting on a big show and he was under threat by some guy um me and my friend did that polish guy um and then i did a couple of other ones there was um another a a female actually a scottish female who owned another big chain of businesses and she was under threat from her previous partner so there's things like that i did a bit of that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. it's not really what i wanted to do um but again it gave me some more experience on at the front so to speak um Yeah, it's not something i really want to do like, i i know lots of people in the security forces and um, the police the army bodyguards i know lots of them and their jobs sound so full on they're dealing with confrontation all the time it does not sound pleasant um especially in this country so i like my hats go off are off to those guys but um yeah i've seen enough of that world i don't really want to be in that doing that sort of thing mm-hmm. um but i can see I can see how there's a there's a need for it there's definitely a need for it especially over yeah.
0: Here. yeah he um I was kind of sharing a little bit about it, from a martial arts standpoint that he used to run uh a women's self defense course yeah I used right? to,
1: I, I've taught lots of women on a one to one basis but I also used to run a weekly women's self defense class in a local town here called Balamani. um and I was saying earlier how i i I felt that the women in the in women's only classes generally benefit more from the class from the training if they're training with a male a bigger male because at the end of the day that's potentially what they could be facing in a confrontational situation on the street a male bigger Mm -hmm. male it could well be a female yeah but more often than not, I would say it's more than likely to be a male. So I find that this, when females train with males, not that every female wanted to do that, um, it became far more realistic and probably far more beneficial to them than training just with a female. I think some women as well find it more comfortable to train with a female. And after a bit of time, when they find that they were good at doing some of the stuff, they then progressed on to dealing with you know males and being in the in the mix of the general. class Mm -hmm. um so yeah um I can't think of any for for
0: women for women who are like looking into self-defense specifically or Krav Maga or you know anything like that Mm -hmm. what would you recommend in terms of first steps for getting them plugged in someplace like is there a vetting process you would recommend before like you choose a club or you choose like a Krav Maga versus like a self-defense class like what like they're two Um, different
1: there's, there's like anything in life, there's lots of people who are good at what they teach and lots of people who aren't so good at what they teach. There's lots of stuff out there. Because I know what I'm looking at, I can spot stuff that isn't that really, that isn't very useful. On um, So if you sit on YouTube watching martial arts stuff, you can, if you've been doing this a while, you can spot stuff that isn't that useful. In fact, it might even be dangerous. So it's very important to, somehow try and establish who in your local area is really good at what they're doing and their background and where they've been trained through and that sort of thing i personally i personally think krav maga in particular is a very very strong set of skills to have um there's lots of other martial arts and i know people who've come through krav and they've taken some of it on but they find them they find they feel better doing jiu-jitsu or brazilian jiu-jitsu or something like that that's totally fine it's whatever makes you feel the best and most, you know, secure and happy and whatever. I personally find that in krav Maga and I see a lot of people coming through who benefit from krav Maga very, very quickly. It's very, very quick to to learn and retain. Um probably because it's more uh street based and that sort of thing. I think a lot of the other martial arts are very um there's there's possibly a lot more um, tradition in them. That sort of thing, where I, maybe there's more respect in those those martial arts, so it takes more time. I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. enough about them to really comment. To be fair, um, but Krav Maga in particular has been something I find people to really benefit from, um, and some people have unfortunately had to use it um, in a physical manner and just an avoidance way as well, where they've been able to learn to avoid situations, cross the street. know be in a room and and know where your exits are should something happen all that sort of stuff people do people have benefited from it immediately from taking Krav classes I I think
0: because you're a big guy more so maybe when you were younger did you have people like in bars whatever like purposely like try to like start stuff with you (laughs) yeah really for those not seeing the video he's he's, rolling his eyes
1: yeah big guy's always a challenge and um my brother's also a big guy he's six foot six actually slightly taller than me um and yeah there was not not crazy amounts of trouble but like we did have a few scraps over the years um i think that's true like i know other people who were big when they were younger too and they were kind of picked on a wee bit you know um mm-hmm. it's funny you would think it, you would think that wouldn't be the case but it often is um but yeah like i i personally don't really go to bars Um. you got a lot going
0: on to just be hanging out at at pubs, right? (laughs) (laughs) The busy guy. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I know, I know. But, yeah, I've never really been a drinker, um, never been much of a partier, so I don't really go to bars anyway. And my friends, Mm -hmm. they're not the same, you know, so we all love our lives. We surf and hang out by the beach. And, you know, Sarah and I and Blighton, we're always out doing something. So, yeah, that's not really my environment anyway. But, um, yeah not my thing
0: yeah so we talked about overcome or succumb tell us a little bit about Confident Chris so this is the kids book
1: yes so Confident Chris is um, Chris is actually it can be a male or a female right so the books written in a unisex way so Chris could be male or female so for example you could buy one for your, your son or your daughter and you give him one slightly different one that's just different illustrations at the End and Um so Chris, I'll talk. I'll talk about him as he's a boy. So Chris um, is a little Viking. He comes from Norway. Um, in Ireland, we've had a lot of settlers or, or invaders, I suppose you would say, from Norway. Vikings. The Vikings landed along the north coast where I live. Um, my dad was Scottish. So I'm half Scottish. The Vikings also landed in Scotland. So to look at a Norwegian person and to look at the Scottish people and the Irish people, quite a lot of us have a lot of the same sort of traits. We've got red hair um you know similar sort of features sometimes um so i I made the story based on him coming from norway um so he comes from norway and he ends up living in the forest by the sea in ireland and he loses his dad at a very young age chris is only nine Chris's dad dies and their boat capsizes he loses his dad So so he's with so he's got an only um an only parent he's an only child to a single parent at the end of the day and so he has to help his mom look after their house um you know if there's something to fix, he's got to fix it if something needs if you know, they need to defend themselves against a wild animal or anything he's got to do it um so he can't afford to be scared for too long he's got to learn to overcome these things he's got to catch the food he's got to you know he's got to do a lot of the things that his dad might have done or um and help help his mum out as well around the place so He's a, he's a pretty grown up little kid for his age. He's very well experienced. Um, so in the, in the book, he talks about things like bullies, for example. And he, he doesn't just talk about, you know, standing up the bullies. He, talks of, he explains why a bully is a bully. And quite often, bullies aren't necessarily bad people. They can quite often be, you know, at this moment in their, in their life. And for whatever reason, they're bullying somebody else. That doesn't necessarily mean they'll be that bully forever. Um, they may be a bully when they're a child, they may be a bully when they're older. Like you know, bullies and I know bullies. Um, mm-hmm. And they come in all shapes and sizes. So, Chris explains the point of view of the bully and explains the point of view of himself. He doesn't really care about the bully. And the bully can call him, you know, ginger nut or, you know, whatever he wants to call him, make fun of him. Chris doesn't care. So, at the end of the day, that's that guy's opinion. That's, he can, you know, make fun of him all he wants. Chris is proud of who he is. He he, he knows where his family comes from. He knows his ancestors. He's this Viking. He doesn't really care that people make fun of him. So by not caring, it dismisses the whole. It dismisses the whole reason the bully. It, it, and the bully says to him doesn't affect him. So he so he chooses that. Whatever the bully says to him won't actually impact on him, and then he talks about other things like fear of the dark. And again, he explains how, um, you know, his parents told him that the dark's magical, and um. He couldn't understand that. Sorry, because every time it got dark at night, um, it it worries him. It worried him. And if you think about it, being scared of the dark is a really silly thing to be scared of. Whenever more than half of our time in the winter is in the is in the hours of darkness, so you live half of your day in fear. So, so Chris realizes that's a really silly thing to be scared of. So he then explains in the book that if you're scared of the dark, you can keep a flashlight beside you, and you'll know this as well from your background. Um, a flashlight when shone on someone's face in the dark is can be using the self-defense tactics to blind the person but when you're a little kid if you shine the light in the dark see what was there and there's nothing there even if there was something there that thing can't see you past the light so you're safe the light protects you so he explains that and you know and basically re- reasons with everyone who's reading the book and explains that you know yeah you can be scared of it but this is how you can overcome it and then eventually you won't need that flashlight anymore because you'll realize there is nothing there in the dark um and also to realize that just because it's dark and the world is obscuring things from your view from your vision there's also other things that the darkness allows you to see for example the stars or the northern lights or you know the darkness is the time to rest and you know focus on other things in life So just because you're scared of it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to completely control your life so he talks about things like that and then he then chris also has daily rituals that he has because he believes that being strong and being confident isn't just something that you have to affirm to yourself every day and um, you have to actually say the words but you have to do it and put it into practice so when Chris gets up in the morning he looks in the mirror and he taps his chest and he says to himself I am strong I am confident and he does his exercises in the book he talks about doing five press-ups um, and he does five <laughs> squats yeah. uh,
0: so, he,
1: so he's making himself strong And then he goes and looks out the window at the sky and he's no matter where he lives, no matter where anyone lives in the world, the one thing in nature that connects us is the sky. So I live by the sea, I'm very lucky, not a lot of people do. Some people live in cities, they're very lucky in some ways too, but they uh, they probably see less nature. But we all see the sky no matter where we live. So Chris goes and looks at the sky in the morning, looks at it, observes it, sees the different colours in the sky, the movements of the cloud. And then in the evening, he does the same thing. So he's always aware of the movement of nature and his position in the world, and he also he's a little list of things that he does. He has to um, he has to help somebody every day. He has to communicate with somebody. Maybe maybe it's even online around the world. Um, he he's, he's got a little list of chores, which take him literally minutes every single day. But By focusing on those those little tasks or little chores or little rituals every single day, he's developing himself. Every single day, it's like you go to the gym and you've got a training schedule, and you do legs and back one day, and arms and chest the next day, or whatever it may be, and cardio the third day. Um, you're training yourself in a way to sculpt your, your mind and your body through regular, specific things. So, he does the same thing a little bit of exercise, a little bit of helping people, um, teaching himself things, learning skills for a, literally a few minutes of the day. There's 1440 minutes in every day. He uses a few of those every day to sculpt himself, so that when, by the time he gets to an older teen or an adult, he's developed all these skills that he can use in his life. Mm -hmm. That's that's the basis of the book. Um, So he's a very strong little kid and um, very methodical, and overcomes a lot of things.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's I love that you've drilled it down to such elementary actionable items. It's even though it's the target audience, obviously, for kids, like. that succinct takeaway is so great for so many adults Mm -hmm. you know when when you think of these people that are i mean the the stats are unbelievable that depression anxiety is higher Mm -hmm. than it's ever been whether it's because of social media or just life or whatever and you know even these rituals and the fact that like you're including things like helping someone else or you know like communicating with someone it's so challenging to stay depressed if you're out there in a sense of gratitude and and looking for yeah. ways to help people yeah. it just gets you out of that tunnel vision where depression is all about me and how i'm feeling as opposed to like looking outward of how can i improve this world for somebody else yeah um,
1: that's it there's, a, there's, a, a, there's a thing as well in the book that chris lives by it's an ancient set of guidelines called the nine noble virtues and they come from the viking era as well um and there's nine of them. So there's industriousness, courage, um, truth. And So in the book, he talks about each one of these nine items and how he incorporates those into his daily life. And it mm-hmm. makes him and his mom live by a, a structured sort of set of guidelines in order to be basically live the best life that they can and be as um, productive and as giving as they can to. You know, everyone around them themselves their family and those who pass by chris talks about people coming past on boats and you know passing through the forest and how they are hospitable to them and giving and that sort of thing so it's a it's a i personally think it's a great little it's only 45 pages long it's a very tight little book um and then it comes with these little motto cards so chris has written five mottos on the cards Little Chris has, or I have for Chris, um, on the card. <laughs> his little, his, So each, each card has, has a motto on it, and then you turn it over, and the kid can write their own motto on the back. They can carry that with them. And then with the book as well comes um, a little Chris's little black book of affirmations. And basically, an affirmation is something that you continually repeat and say to yourself, and it's usually a positive thing. So the book is there for somebody to write as many positive things as they want about themselves. So the child could be writing something, in it every day, once a week, once a month, yeah. whatever it may be. So it comes yeah. with all that. So it's a good little package, you know?
0: Yeah, Al, do you have any of those for yourself in terms of like daily affirmations or uh-huh. like rituals that you have for just that mindset?
1: Yeah, so so that that, that idea came from, um, whenever I left Ireland and moved over, I, li- I lived in England so I could do the UK Pro Surf Tour. I moved over there and I literally went out into the contests and i froze up i'd be sitting there and all these guys would be surfing rings around me and beating me in the contest i wasn't sometimes i wouldn't even catch a wave i was just I totally froze up i'd never seen so many people surfing at a high level around me i you know at home here in ireland there's not that many good surfers. there's only a handful over there everybody could surf to a very high level and so I, it, it drove me to tears a couple of times i just i was so frustrated with myself so i went home and i started i bought uh, sports psychology books I bought um subliminal sports tapes um all this stuff I did hypnotherapy, therapy um and then I realized that what worked best for me was that I got an A4 page and I wrote something on it like an affirmation like something usually related to my surfing I put these all around my room where I lived in Plymouth in England and because I kept seeing those things I believe that turned my mind around so mm-hmm. that's what the book is based on. It's based on my experience doing that. And actually, after I did that, and when I lived in Plymouth, I went on and I started doing really well in the contest scene. I started making finals regularly. Um, I, I did quite well in the end over there. So that's where that came from. It wasn't just pulled out of the thin air, you know, that idea. It, it did actually work for me. So I think it could work for other people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So I really love that you shared that story because I think it's probably easy for the people listening to put you on this pedestal where it's almost unrelatable. Like, you know, here's this guy, Al, super successful in the surfing world. And he's just built like that, right? Like he just mm-hmm. doesn't have the fear. I know what you mean. He's willing, he's willing to charge it. Um, and so to hear that you have like a pretty humbling experience where there was this disconnect between mentally and your talent, right? And and yeah. for you to like have to really work through that. um, And overcome, if you will. See what I did there? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Gosh, that's awesome. So you, like, when you were picking out like these, like hypnotherapy and sports psychology books, you were really just at this like rock bottom of I'm gonna find a way through this. Like, what I'm doing is not working. I mean, I can't like to be in these contests and then not even catch a wave. Like that had to be a knock on the confidence for sure
1: very, very frustrating time. Um I travelled all over England and Wales and it was so frustrating. Because I knew I could surf far better than than I was um but I wasn't for some reason I was just freezing up. I wasn't able to do it. I think being living in Ireland at that time there wasn't many surfers around. It was fairly easy to be close to the top. Do you know what I mean? As soon as you go somewhere else and there's these guys ripping all around you, all of a sudden you feel like you're just not good enough. But in yeah. reality, I could surf as well as these guys, generally, for the most part. Um, but I needed to work on my mindset. That was the big factor, and that's that's what changed my outlook. I think I'm doing that in particular. That's why nowadays I'm fairly fierce when I'm confronted with things which are trying to prevent my progress, because um, I know I can I can move forward, and I generally do. If that makes sense. Yeah.
0: yeah. Gosh, Al, this has just been so exciting to kind of hear your story, and it's just really inspirational, just these tips and, um, and your own journey that you've been on um, along the way. What we're going to do is when this actually releases, um, we're going to do a giveaway of some of your books um, cool. to our listeners, and, but tell us uh, a little bit about where people can find you, where they can purchase the book. Um, okay. You have a, a new series that's coming out that you did some work on in Norway, uh, Twins. Yeah twin. Um and so yeah, so kinda give us the rundown of where everyone can find you.
1: Okay, cool. So I've got my own personal website which is almeny.com and that has like basically everything we've talked about is on there. And then I have confidentchris.com which is just specifically for the book. So that's confident Chris K Chris with a K. Um Coming Up is the stuff that I did with Christopher Hibche where I stunt doubled for him in the show called Twin. Uh, I think that's just been released this month in Norway and it's to spread to Germany next, I think, and then the UK. Um and then it will I assume go further on. Um I'll give you a little bit of background on that. So basically Chris it's it's a it's Chris plays both twins and one's a surfer and one's a businessman and the surfer kills the businessman. And but he then has to play the life of the businessman. So he pretends he didn't kill him. He lives he lives basically the two lives. Um, uh, so obviously, I'm the stunt double in the surf scenes and everything in the water. Most of the t- most of the stuff I'm involved in. Um, and then I have another program coming out, which I don't know if you guys will see it in the states. It's called Tide, um, and it's filmed all over the world. In fact, you will see it at some point in the states. It's filmed all over the world. It's to do with the tide, and I talk about. I've got a slot in there where I talk about how I use the tide to my advantage, and I train with it, and I also train against it. Um, that's coming out. That's on the BBC. Starts off in the BBC, um, and then I think it goes everywhere else around the world at some point. So there's lots going on at minute. Um, that's good. That's why I like it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very busy. And uh, Al's wife, Sarah, did uh, tell a little bit about about Sarah and who she's done some work with.
1: <laughs> so Sarah, Sarah is um, Sarah was the original fashion stylist in Northern Ireland. So there wasn't really anything like that before Sarah came along. She she started doing all the style styling for all the big shoots, advertising campaigns, that sort of thing, and then she gradually worked um into having her own brand. And her own brand is called Adac, which is an is the Irish word for fabric or cloth. And she makes silk scarves, silk kimonos. Um, uh, I, I can't even tell you people's names who have them. Um, what do you call it? Rod Stewart's ex-wife? um hunter, Rachel hunter. yeah Hunter. Yep, she yep. has she has some there's, there's some big hitters have them and uh kylie minogue was here a couple of years ago and sarah was asked to be kylie's stunt double or not stunt double sorry body double for um a show she was doing in in belfast so sarah was down there working with kylie on that so kylie also has some of sarah's stuff as well um, so Sarah, yeah, she's tiny. She's, I, think, I think Kylie maybe is five foot two or something, and Sarah's five foot one and a half. So they're very similar, tiny little people. Yeah,
0: um, I I love so, that when you describe Sarah that she's she's tiny, but that girl's fierce. She she's she bringing a fierce
1: it. Woman, she's a fierce woman. Um, everything she does, she does with her heart, and there's no doubt about it. She is a force to be reckoned with. She's a force of nature. Yeah. Um Yeah, she's very deep um artist and she produces some amazing work i think just from the depth she goes to inside her to pull this from it's, it's very very incredible In fact, i don't know anybody i've never met another person male or female with the depth to them and the work ethic um yeah she's she's a very unique individual pretty yeah. cool
0: yeah. Well, listen, we're, we're excited to meet her. So we are going to have the pleasure to see Al and Sarah while we are in Ireland here in a couple weeks. Um, cool. and yeah, we're, uh, we're definitely going to be taking uh, your DMS and your questions that you have coming off of this podcast. We might do, um, a continuation with Al, especially with some of these other projects that you have coming out like tied. Um, yeah man thanks so much for being here we're Thank really you very excited much. Uh, guys if you have any other questions like I said shoot us a DM or you can check the show notes we're going to link up his website the book where you can purchase it um, and then